Hello, I am Anna Hacker from Australian Unity, and this is a podcast that will get you thinking about what happens after you die. Sounds morbid, right? But as a lawyer, my experience has shown that most of us are unprepared. Throughout this series, I'll be joined by a variety of experts, and we'll be exploring what happens to your business, wealth, kids, things, and even your body. Today, we will be talking about what happens if you lose capacity before you die. My first guest is Kim Nguyen. She's a lawyer who focuses on estate planning and other areas of succession law in her practice at Australian Unity Trustees Legal Services. In her role, she often has to assist clients to plan for what might happen after they pass away, but also consider what their wishes might be if they lose capacity in their lifetime. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kim. I see you all the time, whether it be virtually or in the office, because we do actually work together. You're in my team. I haven't actually had anyone appear on this podcast who I actually work so directly with. So thank you for taking time out of your day. I know you're busy with clients. That's all right. I'm happy to be here. When it comes to an estate planning meeting, people seem very focused on the will, don't they? Yeah, definitely. Um, they normally do come in for the will and don't realise that power of attorney documents are just as important, if not more important, um, because those documents really look after those clients um, during their lifetime, whereas the will looks after um, their beneficiaries once they've passed away. And the power of attorney documents, when we think about powers of attorney, it is during someone's lifetime. Is it uh, the case that it's uh, just one person? Is it more than one person? Who do they need to appoint? So in Victoria, um, there are different roles. So um, you can appoint a financial attorney. Um, So your financial attorney would obviously look after finances. Um, They would do things like paying off your bills um, and engage in um, contracts or sign off on contracts if they needed to. Um, You can also appoint a personal attorney. So that attorney would look after any lifestyle and care decisions. Um, And there is another role, which is... um, the medical. Um, It's no longer called an attorney. They are now called your medical treatment decision maker. And your medical treatment decision maker obviously will make medical decisions for you if you have lost capacity. So there's lots of different roles. There's lots of different things that those people do. Can it be, is it one person? Is it different people? Can it be a combination or? Yeah, you can can certainly appoint the same person. Um, Some people choose to appoint different individuals for different roles. So they might have a child, for example, that is better at managing finances and another child that um, they feel will make better medical decisions for them or better lifestyle and care decisions for them. So you can appoint different people for different roles, but some people also just appoint um, the same person across all three roles. And I could imagine that, you know, we're dealing with people, so Every individual circumstance is different. So is there is there hard and fast rules for you should always appoint all of your kids, you should only appoint one child, or is it a case-by-case basis? Um, I would say it's a case-by-case basis. Um, some people decide to appoint, you know, all of their children just to avoid conflict and they feel that um, maybe if they've got two or three children that their children together will make the best decision collectively. Um, other people would prefer to avoid conflict and may decide just to appoint the one child. So, yeah, it definitely is a case-by-case basis. And so do you often feel that when people come in and they're talking, so they're planning for the future, I think that I agree completely that usually people are focused on the will. They also don't want to think about the the p- potential for that they might actually lose capacity and I think it's something that people often put off. They might do a will and say, look, only when I'm older do I want to think about this. But is a power of attorney something that only older people need 
No, um, I think that everyone really needs a power of attorney. I've got power of attorney documents put in place myself, um, but I think it's definitely important that they look after um, themselves and what happens if they were to lose capacity. And it might be the case that, I mean, they never do lose capacity, but it's always good to have that in place because if you don't have power of attorney documents in place and something were to happen where um, you couldn't make a decision yourself, then it would be up to VCAT to determine um, who was appointed and that could be a public advocate or it could be a trustee company. And it, and it, and it probably won't be the person or the organisation that you're necessarily thinking of. Yeah, correct. We're talking about Victoria here. So I'm assuming that across Australia, everyone has um, the same powers of attorney documents and so it's really easy to move from state to state. Yeah, uh, you would think that, but unfortunately the power of attorney documents aren't uniform. So each state has um, a different form um, and different legislation for their power of attorney documents. So uh Victorian power of attorney documents might not necessarily be valid in another state. And they might also not um, do the things that you think they're going to do. So I know um, in Western Australia, for example, the document has to be lodged um, actually at the land registry there. And if it's not, there can be penalties and you have to do statutory declarations. If you have land there, you probably want to have that. So um, I'm guessing that it's probably best to have powers of attorney in each state where you might need to actually use them. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And you talked about that there's a there's a form. Now, I know, like when we, I've spoken about wills and, and preparing wills, that a lot of people think, oh, I'll just go to the post office and get the pro forma document or print something off of the internet. With powers of attorney, I think that people feel like it is, it, it's a bit more pro forma because it is very much kind of set in stone exactly what should be in it. Now, obviously, as a lawyer, it probably sounds like you and I are both both being a bit self-serving if we say, no, 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 you need to come to a lawyer. But I guess when you think about all of the estate planning documents together, is the power of attorney something that you think people should just do themselves? Is it something that they usually do need advice for? What do you normally say with clients? Um, I normally would recommend that they do get the advice um, before uh, filling out the power of attorney document. Um, but it is certainly a form that they can fill out themselves if they read through all the instructions. And on the public advocate um, website, they do go into great detail about how to complete the form and what you might want to consider and who you might want to appoint. Um, so it is it is possible that they can fill out the form themselves. It's just a matter of, I guess, making sure that it's filled out correctly because there are certain requirements that they do need to fulfill. For example, um, you need to have one authorised witness. Um, and if you don't have an authorised witness, then, I mean, the document could be invalid. We, we do actually see a lot of clients filling out their own forms and coming to us just to have it reviewed. And often there are mistakes in the document. So it probably is best to have a lawyer um, give you that advice and prepare the document for you. But in saying that, it is also possible for you to fill out your own form. Yeah. And unlike a will where I think there can be huge implications for the way assets are distributed or beneficiaries receive their assets in um, following someone passing away, with the power of attorney, there is that option, um, opportunity, I should say, more than option, but to go to a guardianship tribunal if things are wrong to try to either get that corrected or have someone else appointed. So look, we're not saying that that's a good catch um, it is a catch-all, so it's a fail-safe, but at least there's there's that that can can assist people if something is wrong in the document. I th- 
I think that as well that um, when people think about attorneys, sometimes look if your affairs are simple, then the power of the the attorney probably was is really just handling bank accounts, maybe your property, maybe they might sign contracts on your behalf, that sort of thing. But if people's affairs are more complicated, um, I think that sometimes people don't realise the power that an attorney can have. So potentially over a trust, potentially over a a self-managed superannuation fund. And I know that there's been some cases around, and I'm not putting you on the spot to suddenly cite a a superannuation case, but there have been cases where an attorney has signed a binding death benefit nomination on behalf of someone. So I guess that while it is fine to do the documents yourself, there can be things when when your structures are a bit more complicated to probably just make sure that you understand how that works. Yeah, it's um, something that I think that when it goes wrong, then unfortunately you're going into court and you're actually having the court fix fix up um, the documents themselves. You mentioned the Office of Public Advocates website and that is a great resource. There's a, a wonderful booklet, um, which I believe is still available, called Taking Control. And that does go, as Kim said, into to significant detail, certainly for Victoria and for the Victorian roles around what exactly an attorney is, what a guardian is, and um, the the different ways that they can interact and, and who you should maybe think of when you're thinking of who to appoint. It's a good idea to as well probably ask your attorneys, I'm guessing, if they want to fulfil the role. Yeah, we have had a lot of clients that have appointed um, their children or even family members or friends who, after the fact, have actually come out to say that they don't want to take on that responsibility and they'd rather you know, just be a bystander or they would rather a professional trustee company step into that role instead because it um, can be quite a significant role that you're taking on. And what is it that you see? Obviously, our role isn't necessarily to see where things go wrong because we do the planning and so we try and prepare people for for, for those sorts of scenarios. But what happen, What are things that you have seen or heard that can go wrong when it comes to appointing the wrong attorney? Could it be things like they um, put a mortgage on your property? You know, I know that there's some limitations and conditions sometimes you can put into um, the document, misappropriating funds, things like that. Um, I think that when we talk with Greg around his role as head of client management, um, as a as a as an administrator, I think that when he's appointed, it's usually where things have gone wrong with an attorney who just doesn't understand the roles. So. I think that's something as well that when you talk with clients, you probably have to go through, well, remember when you appoint this person, they're actually going to have significant control over your affairs. Yeah, no, definitely. We um, had a client that had appointed her son and she actually didn't realise that he went off and spent $100,000 and gambled it away Mm. um, and that money wasn't recoverable in the end. So um, you do have to be quite careful when you're appointing people um, and making sure that the person you appoint will act in your best interest. Yeah. And obviously an attorney is meant to do that, but that doesn't mean that if they do the wrong thing that you can get the money back in the end. Yeah, correct. So thank you so much, Kim. That was really helpful. And I know that we have a lot more um, questions. I welcome listeners to to send anything in that they might want to ask um, of legal practitioners how exactly they should prepare power of attorney documents. But thank you for your insights today. No problem. So now we're moving from planning for what might happen to unfortunately when things go wrong. And my guest now is Greg Williams, the Head of Client Management at Australian Unity Trustees. He has assisted many people for many years who have lost capacity and have been deemed unable to make legal and financial decisions for themselves. Greg and his team step into those people's shoes, working closely with their circle of support to ensure that their needs are met 
and that they're looked after. Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. We see each other, well, actually not that much at the moment because we're not in the office together, but um, I certainly see you remotely. And it's great to have you actually here in the studio talking about what you do in your job. Now, what is it that your job entails? What do you do? Okay, so thanks, Anna. Um, Look, I head up Head of Client Management at Australian Unity Trustees. So dealing with uh, clients where they're either appointed as a power of attorney or through VCAT where the court makes the order that appoints Australian Unity to look after the financial and legal affairs of clients. And so in one case, that sounds like the person has more of a choice about what happens. And in the other, you you, you talked about the, the court, the tribunal making a decision instead. So in one case, it's a person actually saying, I want this person or this entity to be my attorney. And in the other, it's someone else making that decision for them. Do you see a difference in the way, you know, do you interact with people differently depending on whether it's an attorney or an administrator or is it all kind of the same? Look, it's all kind of the same. Um, we have the same service we want to provide. We, we talk with the client. We understand what their wishes are, what their goals are. Um, the big difference is that once it goes to the court, the power is taken out of the individual's hands of who is managing their affairs And do you find that then people, when we say the client, now this is someone who may have lost capacity. So the whole purpose of someone else being appointed in their shoes to manage their legal and financial affairs is that they can't do those things themselves. They can't make decisions themselves. So how difficult then is it to deal with the client? Is it the client or is it other people that you're dealing with usually on a day-to-day basis? Some clients have no other supports and sometimes that's why it ends up at the tribunal, at the court, because there is nobody else. Um, when there is family or circle of support, as we refer them to, um, it's very important that we liaise with them, again, depending on the client's uh, ability to also, you know, understand our role and also, I suppose, um, tell us their wishes. Sometimes their disability is so profound, they, they can't do that. Um, but where they can, um, we're there to act for the client. So we'll try everything possible to get the client's wishes. However, um, using the circle of support as, as we advise them, as we call them, sorry, is very important because they can give us a lot of background information and, and things like that. So mm. um, again, it's, on each individual client that we look after. Yeah, and I think that um, probably if they've gone through the tribunal process, and that's potentially quite traumatic as well, um, there are often people who say, I, I can manage my affairs, and they're, they're really not very happy actually about someone else coming in and making decisions for them. Yeah, you're spot on. And part of the role is that we adopt is we're not going to come in and, and turn your life upside down. We, we're going to work with you. It's, it's your money. It's your affairs. Um, and particularly under the new Guardianship and Administration Act that just came into place, um, it's really about their will and preference. So what is the client's will and preference? Um, and it's vital, whether you're an attorney or you are an administrator, that you're acting in the client's best interest. And you're essentially a professional administrator, or the, the, the company is a professional administrator that you, and you act on behalf of the, the company. But I could imagine that in a lot of cases, attorneys they really don't know what they're doing. So um, I guess that sometimes is why they end up in the tribunal. Am I kind of on the right path there? Absolutely. And um, attorneys that I've come across in my 19 years of being in the the trade um, is 
they believe that they've acted appropriately most of the time, but um, certainly don't understand the obligations that they're under when they when they're uh, acting as an attorney. Mm. And is there a set of rules? Is there something people can say? Well, if I'm going to be the attorney, this is what I have to do. Um, do people? Well, is is there? Versus absolutely, you know, you've got the fiduciary obligations, but if you break it down, it's you cannot benefit from being the attorney mm. of somebody else where we will see attorneys that have um, cared for their elderly parent, we'll use as an example, and believe it's appropriate that they pay themselves from 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 mum or dad's money. Now, um, if can an attorney be paid? Well, an attorney can be paid, yes, if they go through the right channels and get the right approvals, which is through through the court. And I could imagine that in a lot of cases the reason that um, the trustee company is appointed is because someone has probably done the wrong thing. Generally that's the case when we'll get appointed um, or through conflict, the court. I or or there's conflict, yeah. family conflict, but um, the tribunal will suspend, revoke attorneys. Um, and generally that's the case where there's a misappropriation, um, whether it's deliberate or just through uh, not understanding the role. And I think that maybe a lot of attorneys don't realise that they, well, one, they probably don't realise there's as much responsibility as there, there is, but they probably don't realise they can go to the tribunal. Now, not for every little question that they have, obviously there's some things that they can just get advice about, but that I, that idea of going and getting a, um, you know, buying a car, well, maybe they would normally just say, oh, no, I can't do that because I know I can't benefit anyone else. Well, no, if mum would have normally done that, then then yeah. go and get that advice. Um, I think that the often the reason when um, you know I see cases from from VCAT, and there's not often a lot of cases that are actually published, but often it's the case that people have misappropriated funds. But I think that the change to the legislation, certainly here in Victoria, is quite clear that those wills and the, the will and preferences of the individual is actually really critical. And I think that's actually a really good change. Have you noticed a difference in the way that um, maybe not necessarily that you act as an administrator, but in the way that we think in general about the people that are represented? Absolutely. Um, from the old act where it was a real protect uh, mentality, um, the will and preference is amazing. It's still we're still finding a way through will and preference, um, but it's certainly um, for our clients um, fantastic for them. Um, it gives them more of a voice to where they can ring up and and sort of request things more freely. Um, so I, I just think the you know as I said, the act is still finding its way, and we're still finding you know will and preference and um, serious harm. So those type of scenarios, but for the for the clients, um, and as my role in encouraging the team and coaching the team, it's it's their money, it's their, you know, we're we're there to ensure that yeah, it's safe, but not as safe as it once was. Yeah, um, where it was a real protect mentality, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah and I think that that um, sort of best interest only looking at the um, only the represented person, only what their wishes are, it. it kind of always um, had that conflict then because the family as well would say, but mum always did this. Why can't we keep doing it? No, we can't do this anymore. And, and that's, I guess, the, the act gives that freedom to actually be a little bit more flexible um, within the guidelines and, as you said, still finding the way around. 
but but allow people other than the represented person to well ha- have a chance to actually have some benefit go to them if that was already something that was happening. Obviously not randomly, just getting gifts. Yeah, and that's right. And a prime example is that, you know, you've got the grandmother who has 13 grandchildren and for years she's done the $100 in the card, um, those type of things. It, fairly basic example, but absolutely that those things continue where previously maybe that was... Well, you know, that's not in mm. in monetary best interest, but there's there's two best interests. There's the monetary and then there's the you know, the the mental health and how yeah, it makes her feel well-being. Yeah, the yeah. well being. So And that's an interesting example that you bring up. I have had that exact experience where um it was under the old legislation. It wasn't also an administrator, they were attorneys. And the um it, it wasn't um unfortunately I didn't know my grandparents, but my um in-law grandparents and they always gave even to me you know every every <laughs> single grandchild and um, great-grandchild and everyone received I think it was a hundred dollars as a gift and then um, unfortunately towards the end of um, grand's life she lost capacity and um, her attorneys had to make a t- decision um, I think the year before we'd received like two or three hundred dollars <laughs> she kept forgetting unfortunately that that she'd already given us a gift and my birthday's close to Christmas so I you know I, I actually had to give some money back um, of course willingly gave the money back but um, the attorneys gifted the money now I was and a wills and estates lawyer, and I thought I'm not sure they're allowed to do mm-hmm. this. But because I didn't want to be rude and say, well, actually, I don't think as an attorney you're actually allowed to benefit this, um, these other people. And to be honest, when you have lots of grandkids, that we're talking quite a bit of money too. Um, I like the fact that that is t- seen in a more holistic way now. And particularly if the, the grandchildren are the child of the attorney, mm. um, yes, you know that's. Uh, siblings see a potential conflict there that so I think, yeah, the new act certainly is great for those scenarios. Mm. And, and as we said, it's great because we should always remember we're acting for the client and what is what is their will and preference. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's where, um, you know, the role as an administrator, um, we've talked about that role. There is another one, which is not something that you do, but the guardian role. And that's um, a little bit different. I'm not sure if you're comfortable explaining the difference between an administrator and a guardian, but um, can you have a crack? Yeah, look, so obviously the administrator is financial and legal. So um, we look after the financial affairs, making sure that they get all the entitlements that they should, um, making sure that the assets are protected and safe. And when I say assets protected and safe, the property's got insurance, those type of things. The guardian's appointed for lifestyle decisions. So where the client may need to live, can they live independently? Can they live at home? So together, the guardian and the administrator work together. And I'll use the example of going into aged care. What, how much can the the client afford what? How much money have they got? If the guardian needs to put them into aged care, can they afford to pay a refundable accommodation deposit? What is their financial situation? So the guardian is not looking at nursing homes that the administrator will say they can't no, afford. Not enough money. Yeah, yep. and you know the guardian's appointed for access for services, so making sure that they get to see a doctor, those type of things. So guardianship. Where um, in Victoria, quite often we see the Office of the Public Advocate appointed. Um, 
is for what we call lifestyle decisions. Where they live, we can't decide where they live. We decide whether they can afford to live there. Mm. Um, so lifestyle, access to services, access to people in some mm. some situations. Restriction of people. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, again, that comes back to you touched on conflict or undue influence where there's a concern that there's some goings on that aren't in the client's you know, best, best interest. interest. Yeah. Mm. And I think that the, those distinctions are really important because I think people often talk about um, the the roles as if they're interchangeable, but they're, they're quite different. Um, an administrator as well often is appointed for a set period of time um, and then it's renewed, but the guardian is a limited time and often only for specific reasons as well. Yeah. So quite often, the, well, the administrator in Victoria can only be appointed for three years maximum and then uh, the, the order's reassessed. Guardianship may be appointed, we'll say, accommodation. So once the client, the accommodation sorted out, um, it'll go back to the tribunal, maybe 12-month order, and if the client's in the right accommodation, the guardianship order will be revoked. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that um, it's really important, though, that people understand the different roles and the ways that they interact, as well as the the different ways that people can operate, because it it's really important to make sure if you want to say in your own, you know, your life, that you have that say before it's too late. And planning is cr- clearly critical here. Look, I'm well, reasonably young, um, middle aged. <laughs> But one of the things I say to all my friends in the industry is make sure that you've you've got that sorted out because um, we all think, oh, it's okay, I've got some time, I've got some time. Unfortunately, in the job that we do, um, accidents happen without, you know, yep. planning mm. um, and then it's too late. So I could only recommend that, yeah, you certainly put your estate planning, your, all those type of things, who you want to look after your affairs Sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I think we're right on the same page there, Greg. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I've really appreciated your time today. And um, fingers, well, let's hope we can get you back again because I think we've got a lot more to talk about. No worries. Thank you. What an episode. Slight change of theme given we're not talking about what happens when I die but rather what happens when I haven't died. The key takeaways. You need to remember to plan early. Preparing what you want to have in place is critical and you need to do that before it's too late. You also need to make sure you get the right people into the right roles. Those conversations can be really difficult, but if you leave it too late, unfortunately, you might have people who actually don't want to fulfil them when the time comes. Finally, you can't forget, estate planning isn't just about a will. It's also about making sure that you have enduring powers of attorney in place so that if you lose capacity in your lifetime, you're covered for then as well. We also are going to make sure that we have a link to the Office of Public Advocates wonderful brochure taking control in our show notes, so make sure you check that out. And if you have any question or something that you'd like to be covered in a future episode, please email us at whwid at australianunity.com.au. Make sure that you rate, review and subscribe to this podcast and make sure you tell all your friends. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 